Good morning and welcome to this worship assembly. Last month, on the second day of the year, the Lord's Day Assembly, I introduced a sermon series for this year. Twelve sermons once each month on this theme. What a difference it makes in your life when you just use the Bible. Now, when I say use the Bible, I'm talking about reading your Bible, examining your life, and then putting God's Word into your life in every practical and personal way as taught in the Word that you read. One of the passages I used to introduce that sermon was Acts 20 and verse 32. Paul was speaking to the brethren in Ephesus, and he said this, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So I introduced that series, and then last month I started the series with a sermon about God who created the heavens and the earth, made us in His image, and gave to us His Word, His Son, His promises. What a difference it can make in your life when you personally acknowledge that God is and that He has offered you the greatest gift possible, eternal life. Through Christ, in our response of active faith, we can receive and keep the offer of eternal life. In this sermon, which is the second in the series, let's concentrate thoroughly and personally on Jesus Christ, who He is, what He said, why He died and was raised, and then very important, what He can mean to me and to you. And here's how important this is. Jesus the Jesus who appears on the pages of the Bible said, according to John 14, verse 6, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. So, if you believe in God, if you desire a relationship with God, if you're really interested in the promises of God, listen again. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. So, who He is, is where we're going to start. And I want to speak first to Jesus' eternal, divine existence and nature. I mean, before he entered the world as a human. And what I'm going to read from the Bible over the next few minutes sometimes elicits this response. 
I don't understand that. How is that possible? It doesn't make sense to me. But when we come to believe in God, having examined the evidence of His existence, and when we come to accept His Word, we accept what He has revealed as He revealed it without submitting everything to our reasoning. If you throw away everything you can understand or process, you realize the essence of that is telling God that His miracles and His nature must be in sync with what we're able to process. So in the truth God has revealed about Himself, His Son, and the Holy Spirit, what we cannot process with our finite minds, we accept because it is written. We've become convinced, as we studied in Mark 12 in the Bible class, of the power of God and what His Word says. Concerning Jesus Christ, here's what the Bible says. He existed before His birth. He existed before His birth. Not as a flesh and blood human, all the way back to creation, before creation, Jesus, a divine being, was there and was active. The testimony of the Apostle John is, He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And to underscore that truth, John goes on to say in John chapter 1, Without Him was not anything made that was made. Now this is written in your Bible in the opening verses of the Gospel of John. John 1, verses 1 through 3. We don't try to explain that in some sort of detail that lies on the human level. We accept it because we know the power of God and we've read it in His Word. Jesus existed before His birth, in fact, before creation, then... At the fullness of time, he was born of a woman, Mary, a virgin. And this is written in your Bible, first in prophecy. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, and the fulfillment is documented in Matthew 1 verse 18. This was a supernatural conception. But he came into this world as a real person, a real human. The Bible teaching is Jesus had a full and complete human nature. And it was necessary because according to Hebrews 2 and verse 14, he had to be made like us, so he shared with us a flesh and blood existence. Yet... In Hebrews 4.15 it states, Though he was tempted in all points like we are, he was without sin. Don't miss this. Remember, he existed before creation. He was active in creation. He was and is God with a fully divine nature. Colossians 2 and verse 9 says... In Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
And this is in harmony with what God revealed about the Messiah in the prophets. In Isaiah 9 and verse 6, Jesus is described. Listen to these titles. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. And so when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is called the Son of Man and the Son of God. Jesus is given titles of deity because He was. Evidence of who He is is written in the Gospels, particularly in the Gospel of John. And the ultimate confirmation of His identity is the historical truth of His resurrection from the dead. So Jesus Christ deserves a hearing, don't you think? On the occasion of His presence with Peter, James, and John on the mountain transfigured, there was Moses and Elijah, but the message from heaven was, listen to Jesus. There's no one like Him. He is without debate the dominant figure of civilization. He is superior to and unlike anyone we know here on earth. The only begotten Son of God, the Son of Man, crowned as King, Jesus Christ deserves a hearing. And that brings us to what he said. I cannot in this sermon repeat everything he said, but I do want to emphasize one of the first words Jesus spoke as a young man when he began his ministry. Jesus came on the scene, spoke to audiences, and one of his first words was, Repent. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He didn't come to endorse the status quo of Jewish religion. He didn't come to perpetuate the religion of the scribes and Pharisees who were called hypocrites. He did not come as a military revolutionary. He was not a political activist. His message was simple and likewise profound. Change your life. Repent. Here's more of what he said. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Luke 5.32 The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Noah, and behold, someone greater than Noah is here. Matthew 12.41 In Luke 13 verse 3 he said, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. There were many who didn't want to change their lives. Jesus was preaching what most people did not want to hear. Repent, change your life, leave sin, come to God, and that change made possible by Jesus Christ. Simply put, stop doing what is wrong and start doing what is right 
and continue. And Jesus died for that to happen. We'll talk about that in a moment. Consider, repentance is about acknowledging your sin, resolving to leave it, then actually making the changes in your life from sin to righteousness as instructed in the New Testament. It was and is more than just changing external behaviors. For those who thought that, Jesus said one time, you were cleansing the outside of the cup and the platter, but inside there is greed and self-indulgence. Matthew 23, 25. Jesus spoke with passion about the Father and the Father's love for all men and women on earth, children and adults. So, to those of accountable age, the message was and is change. Get right with God. John the Baptist, before Jesus, issued that challenge. Now, you can't just talk about Jesus and admire Jesus and speak to Him or of Him and sing hymns exalting Him and come to a building once in a while. All of that must be accompanied by and based on a changed heart, a changed life. Jesus said, repent, leave all the sin Embrace everything Jesus said about what conduct ought to be from the inside out. But wait. Repentance always assumes the reality of forgiveness granted. How can forgiveness be granted? On what basis can we for, be forgiven of what we've already done that's wrong? And that takes us to why... He died and was raised. I've given you several passages in rapid succession. I'd like to ask you now, and I shall give you time to open your Bible to 1 Peter 3.18. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. The Apostle Peter was writing to Christians who had been sent into exile by their persecutors. They were undergoing a fiery trial of hardship. They needed to be reminded of God's grace as expressed perfectly in the death of Christ. Here's what Peter said. For Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now, remember two things I brought up earlier, the humanity of Jesus. He was made like us, a real human existence, therefore subject to death. His message of repentance assumed the need to be forgiven. So he suffered and died bearing that penalty in his body. For what purpose? So that we could be forgiven. The language here is to bring us to God. Now, recall something else I brought up earlier. 
The Jesus who appears on the pages of the Bible according to John 14, 6 is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, who was not guilty of any sin, called upon sinners to repent, then bore the death penalty so that sinners could be forgiven. Now, back into 1 Peter 3, what must one's individual response be to this truth of the cross? The forgiveness God grants is granted to obedient believers. But what would that mean? Verse 21 in 1 Peter 3. Baptism now saves you. It saves the penitent believer because Jesus suffered and died to bring sinners to God. The forgiveness God grants is granted to obedient believers and it's real. One of the features of the New Covenant, the New Testament is, God's promise that He will forgive our iniquity and will not remember our sins or hold those previous sins against us. That's the testimony not only of Hebrews 8.13 and Hebrews 10.17, but all the way back in Jeremiah 31.38. Jesus died to make this possible. And when I believe in Him, confessing that belief, and I respond to His call to repent, baptism saves me because He died for me. Don't you think this is good news? He came from heaven to earth, preached repentance, died for our sins, and was raised from the dead. May we get to that in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Notice these words indicating response. The gospel is to be received, it says here. And then it says we are to stand on this truth, hold fast to it, knowing that by our response to the gospel, we can be saved. Now, we could stop here. We've heard the truth from the Bible about Jesus Christ, who He is, what He did, why He died and was raised. But there is another step. What can He mean to you and to me? Is He merely a historical figure, a Bible character, 
As I mentioned before, do you talk about Him favorably and admire Him and sing songs about Him, but have you obeyed Him? If you have obeyed Him in baptism, have you continued to obey Him? I need to take us to two places next in the book of Colossians. Two places I want to take us in the book of Colossians. Both in chapter 2. First, in Colossians 2 verses 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul was a brilliant man. By all accounts, well-read, good mind. He studied under one of the highly regarded Jewish teachers, Gamaliel. I want you to listen to this in Colossians 2, 1 to 3. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul said, Jesus, in Jesus, there is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul did not say, He didn't say that about Gamaliel, his teacher. He did not say that about himself, though he revealed the truth. He said, in Jesus Christ, you'll find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, what do you do with that truth? I mean, in your life, in my life, knowing who he is, why he died, having a book of instruction from him, containing all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to me? Still in Colossians 2, I'm taking us now to verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, knowing you will die someday, knowing the Lord is coming back, we do not know when, knowing judgment is ahead. What is vital for you is a total surrender of your life to Jesus Christ. All of life... For the whole of life. Belief which is comprehended, which has in it trust. Comprehensive trust that leads to repentance and baptism. Then this says, walk in Him. Live as He directs to be ready for heaven. All of life for the whole of life. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance 
among all those who were sanctified. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, we have a baptistry ready. You can come forward, we'll take your confession and assist you in obedience to the gospel. And we invite that good response now while we stand together to sing. Welcome home.